on, please. We're going to see here in Psalm 61, and we're going to find out very quickly that Thanksgiving is not a day. Thanksgiving is a form of worship. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. And in Psalm 61, as we come here, we're going to be grateful for God's protection and thankful for God's provision. Thankful for God's protection this year. Thankful for God's provision this year. That he's never left our side. It, was in, it is in Colossians chapter 3.15 as you're going to Psalms. That Paul tells the church, the church in Colossae, that you can have peace and thanksgiving. Peace and thanksgiving go together. In fact, he says this, let the peace of God rule in your heart, which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Peace and thanksgiving go together. Notice that. If you like taking notes, write that peace and thanksgiving go together. Not only that, praise and thanksgiving go together. In Psalms 50, verse 14, the psalmist said, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vow to the Most High. It is peace and thanksgiving go together. If you have the peace of God, guess what you also have? Gratitude. If you come to the Lord in worship, guess what you also have? Gratitude. Peace and thanksgiving Praise and thanksgiving, but my favorite here, Colossians 4.2, prayer and thanksgiving. <laughs> Those that come with a grateful, humble heart, you know what they come? They come in prayer. Oftentimes we lack in the area of thanksgiving because we lack in the area of prayer. Colossians 4.2 says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, in it with thanksgiving. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything, not in some things, not, th not only when things are going well, not only when you only receive what you've been asking for, but in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. What is God's will for us as a church? To be thankful. Do you remember that the nation of Israel in the wilderness years, they did not make it to the promised land. They did not experience the blessing of God because they were ungrateful. And oftentimes, that attitude of being ungrateful robs us of the presence of God and of the blessings of God. Psalm 61 says this. Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in your shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations... He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, because you are so good. And we ask right now that we would come as the psalmist came in humility. 
that we would come in humility, Lord, so that you can hear our prayer, that you would respond to the prayer of your people. Here we are crying out to you, Lord. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, Amen. Now notice here that the psalmist David in Psalm 61, as we find ourselves tonight in, that David comes here in the attitude of gratitude, in the attitude of humility. And as we've been reading the Psalms, we notice here that, that David, what he's doing is that he is drawing near to the Lord in prayer and in assurance of God's eternal protection. Look back at your life this year. Can you see God's hand of protection on your life? Because here in Psalm 61, David is crying out to God. And he's going to say, Lord, hear my prayer. I call unto you for protection. I call unto you for provision. The hand of God comes into our lives to protect us, to provide for us, and to show himself strong on our behalf. Now notice in the first four verses, what does David say here as he starts his prayer now? And he's running away now from Absalom, his son, that is chasing David away from his own kingdom. Now David here is running now for his very own life. He's fearful, he's filled with fear, but it's also he's leaning on his trust in the Lord. Notice here he says this, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. Now you see here in Psalm 61 that he starts off and he says, Lord, I'm crying out to you. Hear me, listen to my prayer. And he goes on, from the end of the earth I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now do you see here what David is saying in his prayer? This is a prayer coming to the Lord in humility for protection. And what he's saying here in verse 1 and 2 is saying, Lord, hear... Listen to my prayer, God, and from the ends of the earth I will cry to you. Lord, I'm crying out to you from a distance. Because he was fleeing from the place of the presence of God. He was fleeing from Jerusalem. And he's saying, Lord, as I am out here on a distance, I'm crying out to you. When my heart is overwhelmed. You know what, you find so much comfort and encouragement that you can come to the Lord tonight when your heart is overwhelmed. <laughs> I don't know about you, but maybe you've come in tonight and your heart is overwhelmed. That you feel the pressure of everything that's taking place in our world right now. Well, you know what David does is he does what we also do tonight, is that with an overwhelmed heart, we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me, Lord, here it is, to safety. Isn't that what we need tonight, this Thanksgiving Eve? To say, Lord, lead me to a place of safety. And the place of safety or the most important place in our lives should be the presence of God. That is the most safe place in our life. Here he's falling under pressure. He's fainting under pressure. He's becoming weary under the pressure of the attacks now. And he's saying, Lord, I am far from your presence right now. Bring me back into your presence. How many of us need to pray that prayer tonight? You know, oftentimes why we become so discouraged and afraid is because we are far from his presence. And we are far from his presence. We become easily discouraged. 
We remove ourselves and our focus from the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, I'm fainting under this pressure now. I'm overwhelmed or I am beginning to become discouraged now. I'm far from the presence of God in this time of need. Lord, bring me back into your presence. Lead me there. That's where we need to find refreshment there. That's where we need to find revival there. Back in the presence of God. Notice how he says here in verse 3 as he continues to cry out to God, For you have been my shelter for me. You are my security. You have been my support. You have never failed me. In fact, he's saying, I've experienced your protection in the past, Lord, and I know your protection will never fail me. You have never failed me in a crisis before. (laughs) We look at this year, we think of a year filled with crisis. Here what David is saying, Lord, I know that in the hour of crisis, you've never failed me before. In fact, he says this, you've always been a safe refuge for me, a fortress, a strong tower where my enemies can't reach me. Notice how he says this in verse 3. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Do you ever feel like you're running away from the enemy? Running away from those that maybe are persecuting or coming after you in in word or in deed. Well, David, what he's saying here, Lord, I know from past experiences that you've always been a a safe place for me in your presence, Lord. And and you you take me to a place where enemies can reach me. In fact, what he goes on in verse 4 and he says, I want to live in your presence for the rest of my life. (laughs) Where do you want to live for the rest of your life? Oftentimes we, we... Start to put certain goals and destinations in our life. But when was the last time that the only destination, that the only goal was the presence of God? Who gains your attention more? The world or the presence of God? Now notice what he says here in verse 4. Because he says, I will abide or I will live in your sanctuary or in your tabernacle forever. You see this strong determination that he wants to be in the presence of God? Now, in fact, that word tabernacle, notice what it means now. Tabernacle is the tent place where they were set up in the Old Testament, and the very presence of God was there. He's saying, Lord, I want to live in the very presence of God. I want to be there. That's the most important place of my life forever or all of my life. That is my desire to be back into your presence, Lord. Why? Because he he was... He had distanced himself. He was running away from his enemies. And because he was running away from his enemies, he ended up outside of Jerusalem. Now notice as he continues to teach us in his prayer, he says, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Where do you trust for safety today? You know, oftentimes we trust for safety under the shelter of man's power. (laughs) But here David is saying, I'm going to trust for safety under the shelter of God's power. The shelter of your wings speaks almost as of a bird that is coming and protecting now the baby birds and saying, I am protecting now. I know that you have provided protection for me and I'm trusting in the safety of the presence of God. Are you trusting in the safety of the presence of God today? That all your needs are going to be met there, that he's going to minister to your needs in the presence of God? In fact, he says this. This is why he's desiring this. Because he has a commitment to the Lord 
and to obey the Lord. In verse 5, he says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. Lord, you have heard my prayers. You have heard my promises that I intend to keep to you, that I intend to live in obedience. He doesn't only say one thing and really live out another. Have you ever promised something to the Lord because you're desperate for an answer? And you say, Lord, if you answer me right now, well, I'm going to respond. <laughs> and I'm going, I promise you, God, that if you do this, that I'm going to live my life in holiness. No, here David is saying, Lord, what I have vowed, I, I have all the intentions to keep. You know what he vowed? A, lot, a life of obedience. And this is why it says here in verse 5, For you, O God, have heard my vows and you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. What's the heritage? Lord, you've given me these people. You have given me the kingdom. It belonged to you, God. And you reserved now this inheritance for me. And there's a blessing and a reward to those who fear your name. Lord, I, I plan living an obedient life. And I plan on receiving the inheritance that come only from you. What are the inheritance? God's people. It was God's throne. It was God's reign now here. In fact, in verse 6 it says, You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Oh, Lord, with your loving kindness, with your loyal love, Lord, preserve me. Lord, protect me, God. I'm crying out to you. Do you see here that, that David as a leader, he is leading the right way because he's leading under submission. You know, the greatest leaders that we're going to meet in life, if you want to be those that are going to be used by the Lord, is the greatest leaders are not those that know a lot. But the greatest leaders are those who know how to lead under submission. They know how to lead in humility. And here he's saying, Lord, I want to lead, I want to live a life under your protection submitted fully unto you. And he's not only concerned about his own personal life, but David, what he's concerned about, God's plan of redemption for the entire nation of Israel. So he says in verse 8, So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. I will sing faithfully to you day by day. And every day I will bring praises to you. What does he teach us here in Psalm 61? To number one, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. This is what we should do. Trust in the Lord. To number two, to call on Him. <laughs> number three, to obey Him day after day, sing praises to God. Do you see that beautiful order that we learned from Psalm 61? Trust in the Lord. Obey Him. Day and after day, sing praises to God. And this is exactly what He's doing here. He has an attitude now of not only prayer, but notice here in, in chapter 62, he has an attitude of patience. <laughs> Do you know that prayer and patience go together? Oftentimes we like to pray for things, but we don't like to wait. <laughs> and, and here, what David is doing is not only is he praying, but he's also waiting. He's waiting for the salvation of God in God's perfect timing. And in and, and, and chapter 62 that we're going to read right now, you see that he's waiting for victory, that God answers him on his behalf. Do you know what he does? Is he, he, his faith is resting on God alone. 
He's trusting on God to defeat the enemy. He's trusting on God to restore peace in his life. He's trusting on God to restore the land. He's trusting on God's promises now. But it was faith in God alone. It wasn't faith in God plus something else. (laughs) Have you ever trusted the Lord and said, Lord, I I trust you and something else? (laughs) It was God alone and God only that God was going to accomplish now what he has said. And he was going to accomplish it by his own means. He was going to now ordain these ends that that David would rule and reign, but he also would ordain the means. And oftentimes what happens in our life is that when God gives us a specific calling and he asks us to wait, we are so concerned about the means, about how we're going to get there, instead of just trusting what God has said. Your faith ought to not be on the means, but your faith ought to be on trusting in what the Lord has said. Now notice how he learns to wait and he teaches us to wait how to wait. Today, this this Thanksgiving, I I pray that we would learn one thing, to wait quietly. (laughs) Because a lot of times we like to wait, but notice this, when you wait, you know one of the things we have a reputation of doing is praying and waiting and then going and talking to everyone about it. (laughs) You know what true waiting is? Is when you're just silent before the presence of God. When you don't need to tell anyone because you already told the Lord. You don't need everyone's opinion. Now notice what David does here in, in Psalm 62. He knows that only God can save him. He's not putting his trust in people. Oftentimes we end up so discouraged because we put our trust in a person. When God calls you to do something, and, and whether he uses a person to tell you or not, your trust is not in what that person has said. Your trust is in the Lord. Now notice Psalm 62, he says, truly, my soul silently waits for God. (laughs) How does he wait for God? Silently is waiting for God. I'm coming here because I need the salvation of God. I know that the victory I have from God, and only him, only he is my rock and my salvation. Notice verse 1. My soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my victory or my salvation. He is my defense. He is my strong tower. I shall not be moved or shaken. Notice, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Because I trust in Him only. Look at the word only. Therefore, I will not be shaken. You see that a lot of times... Men and women of God are easily shaken. They're shaken because their faith is in man's word and it's not in God's word. And when you have your faith on man's word, you will easily be shaken. But what is he doing here? He's waiting patiently. And you know what patience means? I'm going to tell you here because I want you to remember this. Patience means to remain at peace. To remain at peace now. And we ought to never let the enemy come and steal or ever us lose the peace that God put in our hearts. Patience means to wait or to rest in peace, to remain in peace. It means to wait with a good attitude now. Why? Because there's always a gap. Notice this. Between the promise of God in your life. And the performance of that promise of God. 
I'm going to say that because I want you to remember that, church. There is always a gap between the promise of God in your life and that performance of that promise that he has given you. And you know what the gap is for? Preparation. <laughs> God was making something out of David as he was waiting. And he's making something out of you as you wait right now. The problem with us today is that we want things now. But God makes this wait because there is a school in the duration of waiting. There's a school there. There are lessons that you wouldn't learn otherwise if you would have not waited. That's why it's so important that we don't miss out on the lessons. Because if you truly trust God, I want you to know this. If you truly trust God, then you are willing to wait. <laughs> you know what it shows? A sign of maturity. Because the spiritually immature will never wait on the Lord. When you're waiting on the Lord, you know what you're saying? Lord, I trust in your timing. And here David is trusting in God's timing. And notice what he says here. In this very verse, he says, uh, in, in, in chapter 62 of verse 1, my soul silently waits for God. You know what he's saying here? Lord, quiet my heart. You know when your heart is quiet, you know what you can be? You can be thankful. He didn't want to have an anxious heart. He didn't want to have a hurried heart. He wanted to wait quietly before the Lord. And, and, and waiting for the Lord is not inactivity. It's not being idle. But waiting on the Lord is a sign of submission. Waiting on the Lord is a sign of preparation. Until God gives you the next orders to act and to move. So what is he here in verse 1 and 2, David? He has confidence in the deliverance of God. And he doesn't need to defend himself. That's why he waits quietly. In fact, notice this. He's not complaining as he's waiting. He's not trying to get his way. He's not arguing. He doesn't have a bad attitude. The worst thing that we can do as men and women is to have a bad attitude as we're waiting on the Lord. Notice what happens here in verse 3. Because he says, How long will you attack a man speaking about the enemies that are coming many against one? How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. You look at me as if I'm a weak wall. You look at me as I, as I am a flimsy fence that you want to come and just knock over. <laughs> It's many against just me now. In fact, in verse 4 it says, they only co console or they plan to cast him down from high positions. You want to come now and attack me to pull me down from high positions and you delight in one thing. Notice what they delight in. They delight in speaking lies about David. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Have you ever been with someone that maybe blesses you with their lips, but inwardly they have evil intentions and motives against you? Well, David is feeling all of that. Although you may be speaking now and blessing me inwardly, you're cursing me. You want to see me fail. You want to see me fall now. They, they bless me. They praise me to my face, but they curse me in their heart. And notice how David is continuing to find his encouragement in the Lord. He finds his encouragement in the Lord. A lot of us oftentimes are so discouraged 
and we're waiting for man to give us a word of encouragement. You know where David goes for the word of encouragement and to the presence of God? There's where my encouragement is at. And notice what he says here. My soul, again, verse 5, waits silently for who? For God alone. <laughs> I'm not waiting for the phone call. I'm not waiting for a text. I'm not waiting for an opportunity. I'm waiting for God alone now. This shows a man whose hope, whose expectation is on God. You know why oftentimes we get so frustrated? Because we expect too much out of people and not enough out of God. What is he saying? I hope on God alone. I wait quietly only for the Lord now. And he's waiting on the Lord because he knows that God is working while we are waiting. God is working while we're waiting. In fact, it says, for my expectation is from him. Where is your expectation from? Is it from the Lord or is it from somewhere else? And he goes on in verse 6, it says, he only, notice every time he, he, he speaks to the Lord, it says, only him. Only he is my rock. Only he is my salvation. He is my defense. Therefore, verse 6 again, I shall not be moved or shaken. You see, the greater the realization that his trust is in the Lord and, lo and the Lord alone, the greater also the calmness of heart. The greater that you realize that in the Lord you can find rest and refuge and strength, the greater now peace that you have in your, in your life. And he's not depending upon himself. He's not depending upon his own resources. He's only depending upon the Lord. And, and the throne of David, his reputation, his life, it all depended upon the faithfulness of God. You know what David is saying here in these very verses? I'm only depending upon God's help. And that's why this is so encouraging for him. Because he knows that God is able to pr provide that help. Now, as he's waiting, oftentimes as we wait as well, we start to think that maybe this plan that we were waiting on is falling apart. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you with something. God's plans don't fall apart. Man's plans do. And God's delays are not God's denials. We oftentimes think, you know what, well, well, that fell apart, you know, God's plan. You think God's plan, his plans fall apart? No, they don't. God's plans are true and God's plans are sure. You know what's really dangerous? Is when we become so impatient now. And the reason why this is so dangerous is because it leads us to destructive detours. Instead of staying on the plan of God, we want to detour away from it because we've become impatient. And I wonder if there's anybody here that became impatient and they left and they, they are now on a detour wandering on their own instead of following the plan of God for their life. Because you wanted to escape the pressure right now instead of saying, Lord, strengthen my heart to endure. What does he do in verse 7? In God is my salvation. In God is my victory, in God is my honor, in God is my strength. In fact, he says this, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Do you see how he has a real relationship with the Lord? And, and you notice this because he doesn't, he doesn't need anyone or anything but God. He needs the Lord. He has a real relationship with God. And I think that's really when you know how your relationship with God stands. When everyone else turns their back on you and you have one thing to do only and it's to go into the presence of God. 
then you really know what kind of relationship with God, with God you do have or you don't. Notice what he says here, and in verse 7 and 8, he says this, The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. Circle that, please, because somebody needs to hear that. <laughs> Trust in him when? At all times. Not sometimes. Not when things are going good. Not when the finances look great. Not when, when your health is great. Trust in Him at all times. Now I'm going to say trust in Him and I want you to respond at all times. Let's say it with a strong resounding at all times because we believe that. It says trust in Him. Together we say at all times. Oh, I think we can do that one more time. Trust in Him at all times. At all times you people. <laughs> do you see what an encouragement that we receive here? Trust in Him at all times. In fact, what do you do when you trust in Him? He says it in verse 8. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Stop pouring out your heart to everyone else. And start pouring out your heart to God. Oftentimes we become so hurt. We become so hurt because we poured out our hearts in all the wrong places. We put our heart in all the wrong places. We put our expectation in all the wrong things. We put our heart in things that we thought would give us a return that never gave us the return or expectation that we have or our experience now didn't meet our expectation. You know that you can be sure that God was never going to let you down? That's why he says, pour out your heart to him. God has a refuge. He's a, he, you can find an encouragement in him in times of trouble now. Verse 8 now. In fact, in verse 9, he goes on and says this, Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Now common men are just like a vapor in their life. They have no type of power now. But common men are as a vapor or as wind that comes and then is gone and away with instantly. And then he says in verse 9, Men of high degree are a lie. <laughs> Well, those that think that they are common, that they don't have much, it, their life is like a vapor. And those that think that they are a high degree, that they want to impress people, they're not as impressive as what they really say they are. Or they are not all out to say what they think they are. They're not what they appear. The saddest thing about the Christian church today is that we've become very impressed with man. <laughs> Do you want to know why? Because we are not spending time in the presence of the Lord. And we so easily become impressed by people. You know what he said here in verse 9? And he's saying, no matter who it is, don't be so impressed by them. <laughs> because they can't meet your need. And if you put your trust in them, whether it's common or a man of high degree, notice this, either of them, they can both fail you. That's what I tell people all the time. Don't put your eyes on me. <laughs> Because I'm going to let you down. But if you put your eyes on God, he will never let you down. Now notice here, in verse 10, as he goes on, nor trust in oppression, nor trust in opposition, or don't put your hope in gaining now resources in an unjust way, he says this, nor vainly hope in robbery or taking something that doesn't belong to you, in order to have your wealth increase, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not make it the center of your life. 
your riches or your status. You see, there are often times that we want to chase things that are so empty. And we start to trust in the things that we have. We trust in the things that we have. You know what this, this year really has taught you? And I hope that you've learned this. In the, all the tests that we receive, this year really has taught us how much we don't need it. <laughs> how much we don't need it. Because oftentimes we think we need so much. I was talking to a pastor who's meeting at a park right now with his church. Discouraged <laughs> because they're at a park. And I said, brother, if there's anything that you've learned is how much you don't need to meet with the church. You know how, well, the only thing that you do need is the word of God and the presence of God. How much do you need today, especially as you're going into Thanksgiving tomorrow? I pray that we go with an attitude of gratitude and say, Lord, I'm not going to trust in what I do have or what I don't have. I don't even want to go come in an attitude of want, of I want. So the psalmist said in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what he's saying? God is he who leads me. I have everything I need. <laughs> That's what he was saying. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I don't want anything. Because I'm fully satisfied in him. Notice he goes on. God has spoken once. Twice I heard this. God has reminded me. God has confirmed it now. I'm not to trust in people. I'm not to trust in things. I'm to trust in the Lord. He's confirmed it twice. That power belongs to God. Did you remember that? Power belongs to God. Well, you don't know what that person told me at work. Power belongs to God. You don't know how that person talked to me. Power belongs to God. Well, Art, you just don't understand how much resources we're lacking right now. Power belongs to God. God has told me once, twice have I heard this. Do you see the confirmation of the Lord, how he wants to speak to his church? Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. You render to each one according to his work. Let's read Psalm 63 very quickly. As we see here that David is in the wilderness. And notice what he's doing in the wilderness. He turns the wilderness experience now. In where he could have been discouraged. And then he turns his attitude into an attitude of humility. Which makes him excited about God. And what does he do in the wilderness as he's journeying back into Jerusalem? After fleeing Jerusalem. You know what he's doing in the wilderness? He's seeking the Lord in the wilderness season. Are you in a wilderness season where you think everything around you is dry? You look around it and you, you're in a spiritually dry season of life right now. Where you look back and at one point you were, you were flourishing, your gifts were being used. That you felt that you were at a high climax point in serving the Lord and now you're in a wilderness season. You know what he does? He seeks the Lord in the wilderness season. And in the hour that he could have been discouraged, he becomes excited about God because he now is resolved fully in one thing, desiring God. What do you desire? Notice verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. <laughs> I want that to be the first thing I do. Early I will seek. This is in the wilderness now. Notice, my soul thirsts for you. Now we're going to see some imagery here. As if David walking through the wilderness season or through the desert now. And he's going to use imagery now to teach us how he feels about God. He's saying, my soul is thirsty for you. 
My flesh longs, I'm hunger, hungering for God in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I'm desperate for God. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty for God. I have a spiritual appetite by worshiping God in his sanctuary. Notice he says here, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and to see your glory. Lord, I'm looking for you. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. I want to worship you in your presence. He goes from a wilderness experience, notice this, to a worship experience. (laughs) He goes from a wilderness experience into a worship experience. You know why? Because it's the regular worship that you have day by day that prepares you now for the crisis experiences of life. You know those that can remain with joy when they're going through crisis, you know what they have? They have a strong worship life with the Lord. They understand what worship means. He was holding on to that worship. In fact, he's praising God. Verse 3 says, because of your loving kindness, notice this, it's better than life. (laughs) It's better than, what do you want more than God? What do you want more than spending time in the presence of God? This is why I worship, because of your favor and your loyal love is better than, Then life, therefore, I will praise you. Now, he says, my lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. This is what I want to do. I want to bless you in adoration, in surrender. I will lift my hands in your name. Notice how he's fully determined to worship the Lord here in verse 4. He goes on in verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied. I know that I'm going to be fully satisfied in the Lord. As I'm quenching now this thirst and the hunger that I have for him. With marrow or abundance and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. How is he praising the Lord? With joyful lips. Why? Because he has seen God's power before in his life. And he wanted to experience God's power again. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you. Notice here, day and night or on you the night watches because you have been my help. Why is he meditating? Why is he contemplating on the Lord? Because he has been his help. And he's contemplating on the Lord. Lord, you are my helper. Therefore, I, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. I want to be intimate with the Lord. I want to follow him closely. I don't want nothing to get in the way of the Lord. I want to live under your protection. And finally here, verse 9. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. You see, I'm going to go worship the Lord. I'm going to trust him, even with those that speak against me. Notice this. God will deal with them. God will deal with them. Let's go ahead and pray right now as we put our, really prepare our hearts with this word of trusting in the Lord. With this word of responding to the Lord. And let's pray right now that God would really allow us to respond. Respond to his voice. Respond to his presence. Respond to waiting with an attitude of stillness and of quietness. Why don't we go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We pray, God, right now, Lord, that 
in the wilderness seasons that we find ourselves in, Lord. That we would do one thing and seek you, God. Give us the hunger, Lord, that we once had. Give us the desire that we once had, Lord. Lord, we need you, Jesus. We're thirsty for you, God. We're thirsty for your presence. We come, Lord, in humility as David was crying out to you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for anyone that's discouraged right now because they have been waiting, Lord, and maybe they've become disillusioned on that promise that you've given them. Their expectation has come from the wrong places and they've become frustrated. Maybe those that came in And they feel so spiritually dry. They feel so spiritually empty. I pray, God, that we would not be empty anymore. Here we are to worship you, Lord. I want to bow down before you, God, in submission, Lord. We want to trust what you say and obey, Lord. Lord, thank you, God.